Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And there's a new documentary series that just came out on Hulu yesterday. It's a three-episode doc called Sasquatch. Murder mystery, a true crime thriller that takes place on a marijuana farm in the mountains of Northern California in the Emerald Triangle. And of course, it features the elusive Sasquatch. This Sasquatch reportedly gruesomely murdered three people in 1993. So gonzo journalist David Holdhouse and documentary filmmaker Joshua Rofe decided to investigate and document the triple homicide. And what they uncovered in the Emerald Triangle is going to make your blood curdle. Trust me, Sasquatches involve more than you expect. It literally became a matter of life and death for them. And so today, uh, Josh joins us to explain how this project got started, what it was like to go deep into both the marijuana trade and the Sasquatch uh, legend, and what the Patterson-Gimlin film has to do with any of the series. It has a lot to do with it. Uh, of course, it's the famous Bigfoot uh, footage taken in the 60s. And why Josh wasn't convinced until the project was nearly complete that they actually had a documentary worthy of release. Uh, so take a listen to what director Josh Rofe has to say about the making of Sasquatch. Then go watch the docuseries for yourself on Hulu. And like I said, it came out yesterday, April 20th. It's definitely worth watching. Such a great documentary series. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat. It's unbelievable true story with an incredible twist at the end, which is very satisfying and very Sasquatch-centric. Uh, I binge-watched all three episodes before talking to Josh. Got it done just in time. So here you go. It's Josh Rofe and Sasquatch starting now on Talk is Jericho. All right. So uh, always looking for uh, new documentaries. And um, I'm a big doc fan, docuseries. And one that just came across uh, the proverbial desk is is the new uh, series called Sasquatch uh, on Hulu, which um, instantly grabbed my attention. What a great title. But what a what a um, pretty involved story here. And Josh Rofe, who directed it, produced, wrote probably everything in between. First off, man, what an interesting story that you told with this whole thing. And a great idea to name it Sasquatch, because that will definitely get people's attention. <laughs> Thanks, man. It, it's, uh, it's fun. The, the way this one started was, I feel like it was different than any other project because as you know, from watching it, this is a story that you, you can't even Google, right? So right. cut back to February, 2018. I'm having dinner with a buddy. Uh, his name is Zach Kreger. He's one of the exec producers on this show. And his parting words to me that night were, you got to check out this podcast that I'm in love with. You're either going to love it or think I'm crazy for loving it. It's called Sasquatch Chronicles. And instantly I just thought, oh man, I, I don't know if that's for me. Um, he said, trust me, just listen to one episode. And what Sasquatch Chronicles is, is it's people calling in with their encounter stories. Right. And yeah, Wes, uh, what's his name? Wes. With Wes Germer. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on the show a couple of times. Yeah. So four days later, I'd, I'd listened to 11 episodes. And the thing that struck me was just visceral fear was present in every single telling, you know, of these folks' stories. And mm. I, you know, I, I didn't really get hung up on do I believe the details, the Sasquatch reel, all that? I was blown away by, by how scared these people were. And so I started to think, man, if I could find a story that is uh, a murder mystery that's somehow wrapped up in a Sasquatch story, that, that could make for an incredible doc. And so I reached out to another buddy who I've been working with for a few years. He's a journalist and he's been a gonzo journalist at that. His name's David Holthouse. Yeah. And you know, David's one of these guys who's kind of, he's kind of seen and done, you know, a lot of crazy shit. And I just sent him a text and I just said, Hey, this is the craziest text I'm going to send you for the next five years. 
I want to find a murder mystery that's somehow wrapped up in a Sasquatch story. And if that exists, pursue it as the next project. He texts me right back. I love it. I got one. I'll call you in five. <laughs> well, just before you, you continue, it's interesting yeah. that Sasquatch Chronicles, because I love having those types of guests on because whether you, like you said, whether you believe it or not, those people do believe it. And that always makes for a great guest, so to speak, because they're committed to it a thousand percent and totally involved with the story. And that's kind of all you can ask for. I mean, I, I think all any of us crave is authenticity, right? Mm -hmm. Whether, it, you know, your relationships with your friends, the people you work with, or if you're watching something on TV, you just, you just want to feel it viscerally. And uh, listening to those folks tell those stories, whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. I know right. they believe it, and I'm, I'm down for that ride. Now, David Holdhouse, I actually spoke to my producer earlier, and I said, like, Wow, we got to get David on the show as well because his stories just completely, you know, like you said, he goes deep when he does these, you know, these these journalistic reports and stories that he does. And you've worked with him quite a bit on documentaries in the past, correct? Yeah, we've been working together since uh, since 2016. Ironically, the thing that we met on was a project that never even went forward, but we hit it off and. Yeah, I think we realized right away we, we really spoke the same language in terms of the kind of stories we wanted to tell and, and how we wanted to tell them. And what are some of those? Because I was just watching Lorena, like I told you about the Bobbitt saga. He was involved with that as well. Yeah, deeply involved. And I got another one that I, I know I'm, I can't say what it's about yet that's going to come out next that he, he was part of making that. And we're trying to, you know, we're definitely cooking up some new stuff. Uh, you know, as Were you we involved in the Ramirez one as well? Or was that just David? No, but no, David was. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah, buddies of mine, Tiller Russell, he directed that, and and these guys who uh, who I know who are friends, went they produced that. So I know a bunch of the people over there that did, did gotcha. a great job with that one. So what story did did David have when he called you back in five regarding the Sasquatch? So he tells me about when he was twenty three years old in nineteen ninety three. You know, he was he was a Gonzo journalist who who was learning the hard way that not everybody gets to be Hunter S. Thompson. He was kind of burning it at both ends, got crosswise with, with a couple of gangs that, that he was writing a story about and who, who he had embedded with. And he knew and sort of law enforcement told him, you should leave town for a little bit. So he hits up a friend of his who was working on a cannabis farm in Northern California. And the guy says, oh, dude, come out. You'll, you'll spend a week. You'll smoke great weed. You take mushrooms and trip in the, in the woods. You will go back refreshed. And so he thinks, oh, this is, you know, this is a perfect way to escape my current circumstances, which are, you know, violent, really. He's driving up and, you know, the omen should have been that it was pouring rain the whole time um, and you could barely see anything out of the front windshield. Gets to the farm and you can cut through the tension with a knife and everybody is literally sitting up, setting up booby traps around the perimeter of this weed farm. And there are all these whispers about violent Sasquatch in the area. And, he, you know, he hasn't even gotten high yet. And he's just wondering, what, you know, what, <laughs> what, what, what is going on here? And then that night, or the, the second night, rather, he's in an A-frame cabin owned by the owner of, of, of this farm. And they're sitting there, they're watching Monday Night Football, they're passing a joint around, and then the phone rings. And the owner of the farm answers the call, and he's muttering to somebody who clearly is going to head down this way to the to the a-frame cabin 15 20 minutes later 
headlights of, of this car shining through the front windows. Keep in mind, this cabin is, I mean, there's no street lights. In, it's in the middle of the forest, still pouring rain. These two guys come in and they, they're, they're terrified, they're exasperated, and they proceed to tell the owner of the farm, and David overhears this, that there's been a murder. It's a triple homicide. There's three guys who are dead. They are torn limb from limb. And every eyewitness has the same account, and that is that either a Sasquatch or multiple Sasquatch have come out of the woods and torn these guys to pieces. And their body parts were literally left just tossed amongst what was the equivalent of $250,000 worth of weed. So it's not like a human did this and le left the money behind, you know? Um, right. And so that was the story. And the second he said that, of course, I was in. It was the craziest thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> It's so funny that he actually had a story about that. And the, the, the best thing is if you know David, and I, I, hope, I hope that he uh, would be able to come on and, and do the show. He's su such an amazing person to talk to. For anybody who, who knows David, like when I tell my editors, you know, I, you know so here, here's the story that Holthouse told me, and this is what we're going to try and do next. They're like, of course, David had that story. You know, I mean, he's of really, he, he, he's that guy, you know? So how do you go you know, once again, there's so many twists and turns in, in this story and it's, it's a really interesting watch. It's three, three parts. Um, but once you kind of have that little bit of a lead, I guess it's not much, but how do you go and, and create basically a three hour, you know, a two and a half hour plus documentary based on that one memory of David's? Yeah, it was, it I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to lie, man. It was, it was daunting initially. It, we knew we wanted to pursue it, but we also, we also knew that we were pursuing a ghost story in, in many ways. Right. And so, you know, David is a great investigator and we were following him on this path and he, he wanted to start with ground zero. He, he wanted to understand, all right, well, what is the Sasquatch lore? What what is the Sasquatch believer community like? You know, they they must have heard this story, and so for him, Ground Zero is let's talk to some Squatchers, mm -hmm. and so it starts with that, and then it turns into well, one of the Squatchers has a connection, you know, to sort of cannabis growing, and he's sort of heard of it, but maybe not not definitely, and then oh, David has this other connection from just his years of reporting a connection very much in the criminal underworld who tells him, I, I got a guy you, you need to talk to. And then that guy sort of opens up everything because one, you know, domino falls and it leads to the next and the next and the next. And it's, uh, it was the kind of investigation and the sort of kind of filmmaking journey that we were on where I truly didn't know if we were going to have a show until the end. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like you're talking about, like I mentioned, I was watching Lorena, which, you I know, mean, that's a whole other story we could talk about. But but with, with the Bobbitt case uh, documentary, you have the actual people. You can get Lorena Bobbitt. You can get John Wayne Bobbitt. You can get all the people involved in the trial and, and the, the cops and all that sort of thing. When you're talking about trying to find, you know, if this murderous Bigfoot story is true... You can't really go call up Sasquatch McGee and get him on the show to discuss it. <laughs> that would have been a lot easier, man. No, you cannot. Right. 
and you've seen the show, so you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tiptoe uh, on this fine line without giving too much away, right? Exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm not going to say. Yeah, no, no, no. You're and you're, you're, and you're, not, you're, not, you're not pushing me there. You're not pushing me there. But I just want to be careful at what, what I say, because obviously I know too much. But I will say that it was at every turn surprising how sort of deep, dark and dangerous this thing got. And, you know, to sort of not to go overboard with a cheesy metaphor, but I'm telling you, the deeper we got into the woods, the the hairier it got, you know, it was really, right. it was the type of thing where David was developing sources in, in certain circles where at, at any moment he could have been killed in the middle of the woods and we would have had no idea uh, what happened to him. And then he, he would sort of emerge from these excursions with, uh, oh, we're, we're going to interview this person tomorrow at 10 o'clock. You know, it's interesting because I watched uh, a documentary series, which I'm sure you watched as well, called, called Murder Mountain, by mm-hmm. another documentarian who's been on the show called Josh Z- Zeman, I believe his name is, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Josh Zeman. And um, that delves kind of into the world that you had to delve into of that Emerald Triangle up kind of in the Northern California, Pacific Northwest, which is one of the most dangerous areas in the world, all based around kind of cannabis growing. And it's, it's all documented on murder mountain, how there really is no laws. People just kill who they want to kill. The cops don't even want to deal with it because those people kind of live on their own, uh, live by the sword, die by the sword kind of rules. So by starting with Sasquatch and there's still so much to talk about just around that, you're also kind of delving into the, into this other Emerald triangle world as well so it's kind of two documentaries in one so to speak yeah it was it it was interesting to watch these worlds collide and the reason they did was you know it was just they all happen on the same you know the same plot of land uh essentially you know all, all these stories were in the same forest right and that was that was surprising. I, I, you know, we certainly didn't know going into this that we were going to get into the drug war and the effect that the war on drugs in the eighties into the early nineties had on, on the culture up there and how that all sort of collided with, with the legend of Bigfoot. And we, you know, it just, every place it took us to was a place we for sure could not have guessed we were going to be exploring in this thing. Let's go back to the Sasquatch community and talk about the digging you did into the Patterson-Gimlin film, Josh, and we'll do that. First, I want to tell all you guys out there how you can really honor your mums this Mother's Day. Show mom that you're finally an adult and buy your own underwear. But don't just buy any old undies. Buy yourself Tommy John underwear, because when you're wearing Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable that you can do everything better. That's why Tommy John doesn't have customers. They have fanatics. Hundreds and thousands of fanatics who, after 13 years and tens of thousands of five-star reviews, call Tommy John the most comfortable underwear ever. Once you try a pair of Tommy John underwear with their dozens of comfort innovations, you will never go back. Tommy's are breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. I love Tommy John underwear because it's almost like wearing nothing at all. doesn't ride up or pull in all the wrong places. It's the most comfortable clothing I own And with over 13 million pairs sold, I'm not the only one who loves Tommy John. Men across America swear by this underwear, and now you can get Tommy John's super soft loungewear as well. It's the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Pamper the most important woman in your life with the most comfortable clothing they'll ever wear, and there's no risk because you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free, guarantee. Get yourself a pair of Tommy John underwear and get mom some super comfy loungewear as well. It's a win-win. 
And right now, you're going to get 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Jericho. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at TommyJohn.com slash Jericho. That's TommyJohn.com slash Jericho. See the site for details. So let's go back kind of to the Sasquatch community, shall we say, because you kind of have a really cool thing where... And we're not giving away the twist, but but the twist of the of the story does lead back to the Sasquatch. It's not like the Cecil Hotel documentary, which is not a spoiler alert because it's been out for a couple months, where the ghost story they're telling ends up being just a human condition of this, you know, mentally tortured young girl. Our hour, your Sasquatch story leads back to the Sasquatch in a certain way. But there's a lot of kind of digging deep into the Patterson Gimlin film. And to, uh, I love, was it Wayne and George's, the uh, life yep. partner, you know, Sasquatch hunters. Kind of tell us some of the stories behind that side of the shoot. You know what was awesome about that? Those are people, I mean, B- Bob Gimlin aside, who obviously, you know, he's a god in the Sasquatch community. Yes. And so, you know, every day of his life now, he's taken seriously by a ton of people. But it wasn't always like that. Right. And I once listened to this audio interview that he did. It's just from a few years ago. He was doing it in his truck outside of his house because his wife said, you can't, you're not talking about that stuff in the house anymore. Like mm. I, I've heard enough of it, you know? Right. So he lived for decades being sort of, you know, marginalized as, uh, you know, somebody who just made something up or was, you know, just kind of full of it. And then eventually I think Sasquatch culture really developed and caught up to, to him. And so he lives daily being taken seriously when it comes to Sasquatch by a large community of people. These other folks who we interviewed, you know, they're not celebrities of that world. They're not a legend, a legendary Bigfoot hunter like Gimlin is. And the people in their circles, their family, their friends, they, you know, they roll their eyes at them. They, they don't want to hear it. They're not talking about this stuff at Thanksgiving dinner when they're seeing everybody. And so here, you know, here we come along and, we're treating them with the same integrity we would somebody who testified in a, in a, in a, in a real trial right. that was televised on TV. And so it was actually amazing to, to watch them come alive when they knew that there was going to be no gotcha moment where, you know, we're going to try and, you know, make a fool out of you or, or, you know, or poke holes in your story. I want to know what you believe. I want to know what you saw. Um, and I and what I really wanted for the audience was uh, who would eventually watch this was for them to have that same experience that I had listening to Sasquatch Chronicles, which is, you know, these people believe what they're telling you. And, you know, shit, you can see how afraid some of them are when they're recalling these things. I had a, a guy called Phil Hall who wrote a book called The Weirdest Movie Ever Made that just dealt with that 59 second clip. And he wrote a whole, you know, 200 page book on it. And I had a whole hour storyline with him here on Talk is Jericho. And it's interesting because like you said, you have like, I think Gimlin who will show you the film and talk about it at length. And then you have the guy, you even have them in your, in your documentary who claims that he put the suit on. And I mean, watching that film, once again, that creature has a gate to it. That's not very human. And I don't believe that some dopey farmer wearing a shitty gorilla costume is in that film. I, I just, I, I just watching it. And, and of course, obviously you want to believe if you're on that side of the coin, but to me, believe or not believe there's something weird about that film 
that doesn't, it's not just somebody put, and where did you get that costume in the first place? It doesn't look like a gorilla costume. You know, what do you think when you see that, that, that film and did that help you make this documentary? When I saw that film, for me, I, I thought it was one of the richest pieces of archival I'd ever seen. And you know, archival footage is an amazing thing in documentaries. Right. It, it has a texture that cannot be replicated in something scripted. You're not going to replicate it with recreations or, or, or animation or anything. And, you know, when something feels like found footage, and I, I think of that, I'm sure there's been, you know, obviously things before, but to me, I feel like that's the original piece of found footage right. in my mind for me. And that has such a specific feel to it that... It's just endlessly fascinating. I look at that and I'm like, how the hell did that happen? I, I want to talk mm. to the people who shot that. And so, you know, Patterson has has since passed away. Uh, you know, it's been years already. But Yeah, years ago, yeah. But Bob Gimlin is is hanging on. And so, yeah, talking to him about it was was awesome. And where did you find George and, uh, and Wayne? I found those guys on Facebook, you know, just kind of a Sasquatch, you know, group. <laughs> and, you know, Wayne was who was posting a lot and and I, I thought he had really interesting things to say and so i just just hit him up and said hey i'm i'm making a documentary about this story i don't know if you heard of it or not but you know would love to talk to you and we got on the phone and they were down to to do an interview and and, and yeah those, those guys are great so when you start going through and we mentioned you know you're delving into the sasquatch story which then kind of bleeds into the a murder mystery multiple murder mysteries in the emerald emerald triangle because you mentioned like you said you didn't know if you had a story till the end but but even that's the thing about a, a true documentary is you never know what you're gonna get exactly so when you start filming what were kind of some of the the connect the dot moments where you're like because there's a lot of stuff going on in this that you kind of discovered things that you maybe you weren't supposed to be discovering yeah you know it was so you we filmed we filmed a main interview with david early on it's the one when he's uh He's not at his desk with the computer. It's it's that other one, that other one. <laughs> yeah. The, the one that the, the show starts with. And there were a lot of holes within that. And then as we started to go on, those holes started to get filled in by just, you know, conversations that he, he would have with people. And it's one of those things where, you know, you go on a shoot for five days, six days, and you think you came back maybe with three interesting things, which by the way, that's not how it, it should go. <laughs> My, you know, when I was shooting Lorena, if I go away for a week to shoot, I'm coming back with 14 interviews. Each one's three hours long and, right. and they are, they are jam packed with the narrative, like in depth, you know, and this, we come back with three things and I, and I'm, ha I'm having an existential crisis, man. I'm like, I, I got to find a new line of work. I'm, I'm done after this. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Hey, that, that thing that we didn't even think about that actually plugs into that thing that David didn't know about, you know, mm -hmm. and you do that enough times. And then those, those little pieces that feel like these islands that you, that have nothing to sort of tether to, they start to connect themselves. And then the next time you go, David is, you know, proactively connecting those dots, um, you know, in the field on camera with people. And it was just, I'm a big believer in repetition in, in life, you know, it, with anything. That's, I think that's how you get, I mean, I'm obviously spewing what I've heard a million people say, and I know it's true for me, but you know, you do something enough times that that's the way you're going to get, you know, good at it. And it was in this doc was sort of like akin to that spiritually where 
we just needed to keep going out and we, we just needed more reps. You know, David just needed to keep talking to people and conversations that felt fruitless initially ended up becoming really explosive. And it was just over and over again. And then it, and then you get to the point where, wow, every single thing that we're going out, you know, to attempt to get every conversation he's having, now everything is explosive. And it's, it's so explosive that we need to have a conversation about, do we need to dial this back? Because none of us are here to die to make this show. Let's talk about what it really took to get this documentary series made and released on Hulu. But first, Mother's Day, once again, it's almost here. I can't remind you guys enough. Do not forget your mama or your wife or anybody else that's close to you of the female persuasion. Uh, Steven Singer's got your back to remember that with his brand new rose color. It's sunshine yellow. The new sunshine rose is a brilliant shade of yellow that dazzles with sparkles and like all of Stephen's famous gold roses, there is a real rose dipped and trimmed in 24 karat gold that lasts a lifetime. Stephen has always been in the love business, and this past year we've seen his uh, just how important love is. We know that. In addition to brightening your loved one's day, Stephen wants to put a little sunshine in everyone's day, so he's continuing to use a portion of each rose sold to support local restaurants by catering meals for all the incredible nurses, doctors, first responders, and hospital heroes. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com, send a sunshine gold dip rose, order now and receive it in time for Mother's Day. It's a win, win, win. You give sunshine that lasts a lifetime and you'll be supporting local restaurants and thanking essential workers and thanking your mama. You feel good about doing that all across the board. You can't go wrong. All of Steven Singer's gold dip roses come with lifetime guarantees, a free personalized gift message and fast and free shipping. Simply say, I love you. And honor your mom on Mother's Day. Just go to IHateStevenSinger.com. Do it for your mama. IHateStevenSinger.com. When you came up with the idea of this, is this something that was uh, you had already signed a deal with Hulu, for example, to do this? Or do you have to self-finance it? And also, too, how many episodes are you expected to produce? Because like you said, is it going to be one hour? Is it going to be three hours? What are kind of the, 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 the ideas behind that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the process was had the idea and then my producing partner, uh, his name's Steven Berger. He did, we did Lorraine together. We do everything together. He knew Mark Duplass for years. And so we thought, you know what, Duplass brothers, they, they understand sort of quirk and humanity and where those things meet. And, you know, with, with a tinge of darkness in there too, Wild Wild Country being a good example of that, let's see if they're interested in this. So we go talk to Mark about it. He flipped, he was in. At that point, we're sort of nearing that perfect moment for us where Lorena was about to come out and, you know, we sort of had people's attention. It's so hard to get people's attention in your businesses, you know, if you're in this crazy thing. And so we pitched it then. and. Hulu was the, was the, you know, the winner, if you want to call it that. And, and, and we went with them and we had outlined three episodes, but they were obviously not full of the revelations that we would then find. It was very general. We just, we thought there was a structure there where you could really explore certain worlds without having to move too quickly because you're making a feature. And you know, but then there's that thing where I'm on the first shoot and I'm like, oh, we got to, we got to call Hulu and tell them, sorry, we got to give you your money back. (laughs) 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 You know, and now I didn't do that, thankfully, but, um, it, you know, we sold them a ghost story and they sort of bravely did what a corporation 
generally wouldn't do, which is right, which is you know bet on a ghost story and say here here's a bunch of dough to go do it. So it was just this you know perfect confluence of events where we got this crazy thing sold that you you kind of shouldn't be able to get sold, and now we're going to try like hell to make it. You mentioned a couple times that you know you have to give your money back and you had an existential <laughs> yeah. crisis. Yeah. What what was the first moment where you said we might have something here? It was when David spoke to somebody who knew this story, and they they not only knew this story, but they said, "Oh yeah, I I, I heard that story all fall in '93." And here's here's the other details that you guys don't know about it. Don't know. And as soon as that happened, it was that was a wild moment. You know, that was when we knew, wow, this thing this thing just became even more interesting than than, than we hoped it could be. It's an interesting twist in there that's not really giving anything away where there's actually a, an informant or a, a character whose name is actually Bigfoot. And that's real interesting because you're looking for Bigfoot and there's a point in the time where you think, well, Bigfoot is a guy, he's named, but but by, by admission, he's not a very nice guy. And it seems a little bit kind of scary when you have to kind of try and track him down and find him. Kind of tell us about, about the uh, illustrious Bigfoot. Yeah, I'm. You know what, man? I I'm gonna actually tread really lightly on that one. You're still scared of them. There are there are people who we encountered who are some very interesting characters, and uh, you know how we got to certain people. I don't want that to you know to bite anybody. But yeah, gotcha. yeah, man, yeah. But that that great question, but a a tough one. Like off the air, I. Off the air, I'd blow your mind if I told you the story. How about that? But and, and unfortunately, I can't, I can't do that. But but that, but there's the thing. But but this is not uh, uh, Josh yeah. being coy here, or like you know, just watch the movie and see. Like there's a lot of instances in the movie where you actually have a, a, a an on running character who's called is it what, 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 whatever his name is mentioned. Is it called accused killer or alleged killer? Alleged killer. And every time you say this guy's name a static noise comes up and alleged killer kind of pops up over the guy's mouth. Now, not getting into the alleged killer, but, but is this something you, after you finish filming going like, we can't say this guy's name. Oh yeah. Cause everyone is saying his name. It seems like you didn't realize that until after the shoot was done that like, we got to do something about this. Oh, when, when we were deep into the process and we, we really had a full picture of the who and the what and and the how of some of these things it was you know we had to come to jesus moment where you know we have to be careful because sure we're we're making a show and we're trying to tell a great story but there are certain people who if we are reckless just in the name of you know making something more exciting yeah it could cost somebody their life and uh, you know obviously none of us are, are are interested in that happening you know that would be awful so yeah, it was weird decisions that had to be made where suddenly, you know, there's a bit of cloak and dagger uh, that needed to be added to this. I mean, again, like you said, I'm, I'm not trying to hype it up in a way that is, uh, you know, being disingenuous. But if we just went full bore on certain things, people could have died as a result of it. Including, <laughs> including, including us. Absolutely. Yeah. Was there ever uh, a point during the shoot where you actually felt in danger? I had this overwhelming, I mean, I, I've shot, my, my first doc was called Lost for Life. It was about juveniles who were serving life without parole. Every single one of them committed a brutal first degree murder and they, they were they were in some rough prisons. So I, I've been to probably easily, a, you know, 
a dozen maximum to, to super max prisons. And that's a, there's a crazy feeling that comes over you when you walk into a place like that, where you you know, your, your senses are, are heightened. Mm-hmm. I've been in, in the homes of people who I knew probably killed somebody and, and they weren't sure if I knew I, I have this one project I've been working on for years that kind of ha- has that at the core. And it was just me camera person and, and this, this one dude. I'd never had a, I say that all that to say, I'd never felt the way I did making this show where mm. the sense of we better not overstay our welcome was, was palpable. Yeah. That's once again with Josh Zeman, when he made murder mountain had the same, same issue because like you said, and he really focused on it and you guys focused on it to an extent, just how many missing people there are in that area. Yep. That will never be found because these mountains are basically, in a lot of ways, giant burial sites where people disappear and no cop is going to go up there to find them. And so we will never really know what happens to a lot of those people. I mean, there there are really places in this world where human life is not valued. And you're yeah. not going to talk your way out of that. You right. know, the, the gift of gab will help you not at all. And so... And nobody wants to hear it. Nobody right? wants yeah. to hear it, you know. And so, yeah, man, it's... When, when that's sort of it, when that's in the air, you're just, you're trying to get in and get out, you know, while, while still get, you know, getting the job done. It's uh it was a tricky balance. And I think that's part of why we, we needed to keep going back because you just, you couldn't spend too much time uh, in certain places. And a lot of that, I'll just say this, a lot of that was David away from the camera. You know, th- there were times where David would go and he'd be meeting up with somebody and he shows up at right. he shows up at a place where that restaurant or that bar. Oh, by the way, it's actually closed. Oh, wow. and now you're here with eight people, and that you don't know. You just know they're of this world. And you know, he'd let me know where he was going. He'd give me the hey, if I'm not out by this time, you know, things went sideways. And man, I'd be sitting up in that hotel room till two, three in the morning, you know, waiting for that text from David to say I'm out, I'm good, or here's, you know, a text that he sends from, you know, from the bathroom. Here's the crazy shit that I just found out. Wow. I mean, there, there was a ton of that. Um, there was a ton of that. So that's stuff that he's finding out off camera, off camera. And then, you know, sort of quickly when he's out recording it in these, uh, these voice memos, you know, a a journalist, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the tools is just not necessarily even writing everything down, but just, you know, that voice memo, that note to self for later. And he was doing them in real time and you could hear the ones in the show. I mean, he is, he is on, his adrenaline is, is pumping. He is on edge. Um, and sometimes, sometimes he's, you know, he is just flat out scared. Let's talk about how you actually got people to appear on camera. Cause there's some real uh, lascivious things going on behind the scenes here. But before we get into that, I got a quick word about another awesome talk is Jericho sponsor talking about Geico. I know all you guys listening either own or rent your own homes for the most part. I know it's hard work, but you know, it's easy bundling policies with geico geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policies and it's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home go to geico.com get a quote and see how much you can save it's geico easy visit geico.com today that's geico.com go check it out today so how did you get people to appear on camera? Because it seems like nobody would want to talk up in that area. Like you said, with the value of human life being almost zero. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of that credit really does go to David for this sort of, you know, the, the people away from the squatchers 
David was developing these relationships with these sources for months. And, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know necessarily as a blanket rule why a particular person will agree to go on camera. I think, you know, everybody has a different MO. But I think ultimately these were people who they understood that this was a wild story. And it was the kind of thing that, you know, nobody ever really asked them about. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I do think people, they want to be listened to. They want to have a moment to just tell you about that thing that they know is, you know, insane or wildly unfair or, you know, exciting or, or whatever the hell it is. And I think, I think it was, a, you know, it was probably a combination of all those things. It's like here, here we were all these years later asking about that thing that they know was one of the wilder things that, that they could remember. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too because there's there's interviews where um, you know Dave is in the front seat of a car with somebody. One of the guys is wearing a, like a full mask and he's wearing a hat. And then you know, are you, is that you in the back seat with the camera? No, that uh, in the car. No, with with that, that's just I got the camera person just right right there in the back and with the mic too. And in an instance like that, we're trying to not even be in there with them just so it could be as intimate as possible, you know, and not just have a bunch of people. Yeah, that one, that one was nuts. But, you know, we're close by in another car listening, you know, with the, you know, with the headphones. Let's go back to the kind of the Sasquatch element. Did you hear some stories from, from, I mean, obviously we're talking about hearing the stories about the murders on, in the Emerald Triangle. Were you hearing some stories about actual Sasquatch, uh, you know, encounters from people in that area? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I think people were divided about, you know, whether or not Sasquatch were violent. You know, some of them definitely thought of, of Sasquatch as this sort of benevolent creature, you know, out there in the woods. And and then other people would just say to you, what if you are trying to protect your young? You know, that is something that, that is at play maybe with, with violence. And mm. so, you know, there were people who had encounters that they thought were sort of steeped in, in, in violence and fear. And then there were other people who just did sort of view Sasquatch as this, you know, majestic creature out there that you shouldn't be afraid of. But um, it was the ones, you know, going back to Sasquatch Chronicles and and those first episodes, it was the ones that were steeped in fear that uh, that stuck with me because there was just, I don't know, there was just more meat on the bone there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like to see a grown person be afraid and be will like come on we all live life trying to not show fear right it's like right. that that is the mo as a human being I, i'm not going to show you that i'm afraid you know even even when i am right and now here are these people who they're looking you in the eye they're grown adults and they're telling you you know i'm terrified and i don't know how much longer i even want to talk about this well that's the tone of the whole of the whole docuseries too. I mean, it's, it's very dark talking about the Sasquatch or talking about all of these people that you have to talk to. Like it's a real creepy type vibe. And like I said, to me, the reason why I really enjoyed it, uh, not that I didn't enjoy Cecil's is the, is the end of it kind of the end fits the beginning. As far as whatever you were looking for, you kind of found it. That, that, that is so great to hear. It really is. I love when a story comes full circle mm-hmm. and, and you know, what happens at the end suddenly makes sense of the beginning. Sometimes that's the, you know, that's the best you can ask for. And sure, there's always questions that remain. And, and even with our series, as you know, there's, you're never going to know everything mm-hmm. when, especially when something happened, you know, 
25 years ago in the middle of the woods and half the people might have been on meth who were who were around you know um yeah, right, right, right 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 um but if you find out enough that you can suddenly make sense of you know this piece of folklore that could be a really satisfying thing and i think it often tells you tells you more about uh you know us as people and and, and some of the some of the other things we may not have even considered you know going into it but uh yeah Talk about kind of the idea that you had to use the animation to kind of be a bridge for some of these parts. Yeah, it's funny. I So Mark Duplass, he, he was the one who just, he said, you know, we were talking about like, do you do recrees? Do you, you know, what, what do you do? Because so much of this, there is no, there is no footage. There's no photographs, you know, that exist. You know, how are we, how are we going to express this? And he said, you know, have you thought about animation? And my initial reaction was, I'm not crazy about animation in docs, right? Mm-hmm. And then... They said, "Well, why don't you why don't you talk to this this animator we know? He lives in the Pacific Northwest. His name's Drew Christie." And I talked to Drew, and maybe two weeks later, you know, he sends us this minute and a half of animation that is essentially a response to about two minutes of of David telling part of this story. And mm-hmm. it, I'm telling you, it didn't change after that stylistically. This this guy, he knew it like in his bones. And for me, the reason it clicked was I think this story in many ways has more in common with a graphic novel than even what you would expect out of a documentary. And, and this sort of style that, that drew Christie, you know, put down with the animation was, it was like a living, breathing graphic novel. So yeah, that, that's kind of how that came about. As we start to wind down here, um, you had a few other kind of Sasquatch experts on the show I don't know, the anthropologists or whatever, whatever they may be. What did you kind of get from that? Because you have a lot of people here that just want to believe that this is a real living, breathing creature. Yeah. uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Meldrum was, uh, was one of them. And, you know, Dr. Meldrum is really well known in, in the Sasquatch community. But what I, what I liked about him was, you know, he was coming at this from a scientific anthropological POV. And for him, everything started with questions, which is, you know, mm-hmm. not just, yes, I believe this or, or yes, I, I'm just going to go with this, but you know, how, how could this be possible? And so to hear a guy who, I mean, he's, he's a professor at, we were on a real, we were at a real college, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? This, mm-hmm. Right, this, right, right, right. He, he's yeah. not in his shed in Idaho. He's on a college campus and you know, mm-hmm. you walk by the math department and now you're at the anthropology department and, and, and there he is, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? And so, you know, here's this guy who is, he's looking at it in a way that isn't, I want to believe, but well, how could this be real? And let me, let me throw out these seven questions to try and poke holes in it before I even arrive at, you know, I think this is possible and this is why. And so I think that was really important for us to have. And I, I, I've definitely shown the show to some people who they are not squatchers. They are not believers. And they found some of his arguments and points to be, to be really compelling. And I, I think that's the best uh, that we could hope for because we're not here to try and prove the existence or non-existence of Sasquatch. We're here to chase the, the origin point of this absolutely insane story that a Sasquatch murdered three people on a weed farm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Everything else along the way is just, you know, sort of a wild ride. Last two questions for you. Um, and you can maybe even speak on behalf of David. Yeah. Do you believe 
that there are Sasquatches in those mountains? Did David believe that? I, I, I think that he, he really encapsulated it well in, in this line that's in the show, which is that, um, and I'm, I'm going to misquote him here to an extent, but when you're up there and you're in those woods, you think, oh, yeah, a brontosaurus could just walk by right now. Right. You know, and you could go in there as a jaded, hardcore non-believer. And then you spend you spend a couple hours in those woods and your phone doesn't have service and you're, you haven't sent a text to anybody and you're not distracted by all the things that we have. And all you're hearing are the sounds, you know, and, the, you know, you can't hear any cars. You're, you're hearing the sounds of, of, of the forest and the right. lights starting to go. And now you're thinking, I think, man, I think it's time to get back to the car. <laughs> you, you, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think that that there's just this element of the supernatural that runs at a higher vibration up in those woods than it does when, you know, we're living our just sort of, I got to hit the Apple store because my phone crashed city life, you know? Right. Well, it's interesting too, because, you know, the saying you can't see the forest through the trees, like it's so expansive to be up in that area that there could be, like you said, anything could be living in there and you really don't know for sure. So it makes it a lot more believable when you're on site. The unknown is terrifying. You know, right. the, the unknown is terrifying. The unknown in the woods, even more terrifying. Last question for you. What is your kind of, uh, I don't know, favorite is the right word, but which part of the of the doc kind of stands out to you the most? And for me, I'll tell you mine was, was, the, was the ending. Like I said, the ending I felt very satisfying because it does still revolve around the Sasquatch. You know, because I thought for sure when you were going in this direction, well, it'll be the, you know, the murder mountain type thing. But there's more to it than that. I, I thought that I thought the ending was really, really well done. And I was very satisfied both as a as a fan of documentaries and as a fan of the Sasquatch. Oh, that, that's that's amazing to hear, man. It really is. Just knowing how painful it was to arrive at that. <laughs> but how about for you? Yeah, you know, I I actually really I love the ending too. I I really do because I know I know how hard you know David and we had to work to get there. But I also, I just, I love David having all these realizations of like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not that different than any of these people. I'm out here in the woods hunting a monster hmm. and, you know, am I ridiculous? You know, people think squatchers are ridiculous. I'm hunting a ghost story, you know, as a grown man for a living, you know, it's just like, mm -hmm. am I ridiculous too? No, I'm not because there, there is something to this and watching him sort of go through that and know that, God, even though there's, there's stuff that we don't know here, I keep coming up against people who are afraid. And they're afraid because something happened. Mm -hmm. And watching him sort of swim in the midst of that I, is one of my favorite things. I, I just thought that was unbelievable. Yeah, like you said, uh, hunting for a monster, it could be a Sasquatch or it could be a human being, but a monster is a monster no matter how you dress it up. Exactly, exactly. Josh, it's been great talking to you, man. The, the, the documentary is called Sasquatch and... Uh, I think it's going to be a huge hit for you. And the next time you do a, a, a documentary, we'll have you back to talk about it. Chris, thanks so much, man. Truly a pleasure. Congratulations. Thanks. Watch out. Stay out of the forest. <laughs> for real. <laughs> <laughs>